you like Grant Fisher, I told him I'd give this shout out, but he just came out with a new podcast called The Half Step Pod. He's doing it with a former teammate of his, Connor Lane, and a really good listen behind the scenes action of what it's like to be a professional. Welcome back to the Half Step Pod. I am your co-host, Connor Lane, and across from me, as usual, back in Park City right now, is my co-host, Grant Fisher. Grant, do anything fun this weekend? Oh man, yeah, it was a fun weekend. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into it, but yeah, dude, I'm still so happy. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm over the moon. Like, I can't even describe how I feel right now. Just in case you're uh, one of the listeners of the podcast who doesn't watch Grant race or track his career at all, of which I'm not sure if there is anyone, uh, Grant successfully made his first Olympic team uh, on Friday in the 10,000 meters at the U.S. Trials, coming in second place to his teammate, Woody Kincaid, closing in 54 on the last lap. I don't even remember what you ran for the overall race. I know it wasn't like that fast. Do you remember? Uh, I think it was like 2750-something. Uh, so sub-28, just a little bit under 28. Yeah, with with a, with the fifty four close to make his first ever Olympic team, uh, you're back in Park City now. What has the last like three days been like, man? Oh man, it's been wild. Um, yeah, so we had a an evening race. Um, we were the last race of the day. We were the first track final, which was pretty cool. Um, Ten thousand meters and uh, in the brand new stadium that's in Eugene, Oregon now, um, which is a crazy stadium. I've never been in a place like that. Um, the only track stadiums quite like that are Diamond League stadiums or World Championship stadiums or Olympic stadiums. So um, that new facility they built is crazy. Um, and yeah, had the race. Um, you know, what more can you ask for? You know, you're on the team. Uh, and then I guess like we'll, we'll probably get into the race a bit more, but just general overview. Yeah, after the race, like had to go well. well they gave us like a flag and uh, some flowers and we did a little victory lap, which was super fun. Got to see my family who were there. A lot of my friends were there. Um, a lot of people that I hadn't seen in a long time, just like that I've met through the sport, uh, were there on the victory lap and got to see them. Um, I think that the, from the moment we finished the race, the drug testing uh, officers had to be with us to make sure we wouldn't, you know, drink anything weird or like do anything weird. It, the rules are once you're notified of a drug test, they have to be within eyesight of you at all times. So um, I think they were a little pissed at us because we took our sweet time on that victory lap, just trying to soak it in. Um, and they finish that understood, up. man. They, they, I feel like most people in the environment understood, but maybe not. Maybe if it's your job to hurt all these guys, you're probably pretty annoyed at all the celebrating. I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Like, I'm going to enjoy that moment. And um, we definitely did. And then... Yeah, you get ushered off into uh, the mix zone, which is where the media is. Uh, this year it was all virtual, which was kind of weird. Um, so you just sat in front of a camera and this guy read you questions that people like typed into the Zoom chat, which was kind of kind of weird. Um, and then uh, I did a quick cool down on a little turf field um, just because, again, you have to be an eyesight of the drug testing officer so you couldn't leave to cool down or anything. Um, and drug tests went through that and then uh yeah i went back to the hotel saw my family some of my friends um and it was 
yeah, it was so fun. Um, you know, you, you couldn't really go out and celebrate too much because uh, COVID protocols are pretty strict at the trials. One, one positive test and you're done. You're just kicked out of the meet. So Jeez. Uh, there wasn't much like going out, hitting the town. Well, and, you, like, you are vaxxed, night. but either way, you, you still got to be cautious. That's true. Um, but yeah, we were notified that a couple people already had been kicked out of the meet that had vaccines that oh. tested positive. So it was a little, a little scary. You know, you didn't want to do anything too, too, you know, crazy wild. And, um, and also 5K, we have, yeah. also we got a 5k to get ready for. So yeah, didn't, didn't want to like have a night on the town too much. Dude. <laughs> oh, I mean, this is such a dumb question, but like when did it, does it sink in? Like, has it sunk in? I, I feel like the sinking questions are always weird because for you, I mean, look, we've been building to this for a long time and this is a huge achievement and a huge goal you've set. But at the same time, like low key, you, you probably should have done this. Like, you know, you, you, you I mean, like it, it should have, it's such a dumb word because you've worked incredibly hard to put yourself in a position to accomplish this, right? It's not like you should have done this from the time you were 15. It's just like going into this month, like you should have made this team and, and you had it well within your ability to do so. And then you did it. So maybe, I don't know, is it still that like just childlike, like wonder of like, oh my God, I made the Olympics. Does it feel a little bit like, yeah, like, you know, I should have achieved this goal and I did do it. And it's almost like, this is where I belong. Or is it both? I mean, just, just taught me through kind of how that feels. Does that make sense? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a weird feeling, man. Like, you know, every kid, you know, you dream about where you're going to be in the sport or really anything that you do, you know, you always, I feel like people always project, you know, like into the future, you know, the dream scenario. Hey man, if I keep keep improving, if I keep doing this, like maybe someday I'll be at a D1 program or like maybe someday I'll make a NCAA final. Um, and for me, like each step of the way, the dream has kind of gotten bigger and bigger. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I wanted to be at a, a D1 program um, early on. And then as I got through high school, I set my sights, hey, I think, you know, the dream scenario I think now is maybe winning an NCAA title. Um, and then you get to that level and your mind kind of keeps going. And you're like, hey, maybe someday I can uh, compete on the US stage as a pro. And then you now. go to maybe someday I can be an Olympian. And, you know, honestly, like, it hasn't really sunk sunk in. Um, like the people that I think of uh, as Olympians are the people that I looked up to when I was high school. Young, yeah. Um, so like a lot of those names aren't in the sport as much anymore, or maybe are on the verge of retiring. Um, and it's weird to think that I'm like on that level now. Like I'm on par. I have the same title as them now, Olympian. Uh, it's crazy, man. dude. The, it, it's the coolest a- thing. The coolest thing was right after you finish and you and you hug Woody. And the first guy behind you like taps you on the shoulder and gets your attention is Galen. I don't even know if you remember that. Like the video though is just so cool. And like, I mean, obviously we grew up basically in the same era of like watching him, you know, medal in, in London. I know you remember Beijing and potentially even like 04, but you know, like just, just beating him in a race to qualify for an Olympic team too. I mean, among a whole bunch of people in there who are just veteran names and joining that legacy, but that that feels surreal too to just like you know i mean you've been on par with him for a couple of years in terms of the track um but yeah just just him patting you on the back being probably like hey congrats like you know you you're into the club that's a pretty cool feeling <laughs> yeah oh uh, that was cool i mean yeah i remember watching you know the olympics way back when he and mo farrow went one two um 
you know, the, the guy is an incredibly accomplished runner. Um, you could make the argument that he's the most accomplished American distance runner ever um, as far as times and medals and just just prominence on the world stage for such an extended period of time. And um, it's crazy. I mean, we're, we're technically teammates now. Uh, we're both on, on the Olympic team. Yeah. So, so that's kind of cool. Um, and uh, yeah, man, it's a title that ev- everybody understands. Doesn't matter if you're in the track world or if you're not, you know what the title Olympian means. Um, so it's just like this transcendent uh, thing that only comes around every four years. It, it's, it's incredibly hard to make a U.S. team. I know I've been saying that in the weeks leading up to this, and I truly believe it. And I continue well, now, to now believe it. Now it's just it. a flex to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, no, I, this is so hard. Like you guys don't even. Understand. Yeah, you guys don't understand. You don't get it. It's so hard. <laughs> yeah, but like, I don't know, man. Like, it, it's crazy that I'm on that level now. Um, and so many things have to go right. You have to be healthy. You have to be you know, primed and ready to go. You have to time your cycle at the right time such that like your fitness is coming up. You know, you you don't want to be too fit too early. Um, There's so many things that have to go right to make these teams. And if you look at every event at the Olympic trials, um, it's hard to do. Sometimes the favorite, like if you're not ready on the day, you might not make it. Um, If you're not the favorite and you're ready on the day, you might make it. There's, it's just so cutthroat. You never know what's going to happen. And I'm just so happy that I that I had it on that day, um, because honestly, in this sport, you never know what's going to happen. You're you can be one step away from an injury. Um, you know, one of my teammates in the race, Lopez, he yeah. pulled up with an injury in the middle of the race, which was, you know, tragic. There's there's no reruns of the Olympic trials, um, and if you don't get it right on the day, it's you know there, there's no second chance. It's really quite sad when stuff like that happens. So. I'm just so grateful that I had, you know, an incredible group of people supporting me, um, incredible coaching at, at every step in my career, um, great teammates and uh, people that believed in me. And uh, yeah, man, each of that, all of those things play factors in it. It's, you know, only one man can run the race for yourself, but, you know, there's a lot of people behind the scenes that make it happen. Yeah. Well, on behalf of everyone, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah uh did i forget to mention the most important person is is your podcasting partner in your journey to, Every, to... everyone knows this. <laughs> Every, everyone knows um man okay i don't know if there's anything else that you want to say i think one thing we could do before we get to our special feature guest coming on uh in a few minutes is talk about the race at least like the first little bit of it like there are a couple moments that stood out to me like just from your perspective before Woody comes on and we talk more generally about um, like the race and the last couple laps. Cause you mentioned the Lopez thing. It's like, it's gotta be so surreal. Cause you know, they did like a slow-mo video replay of it when they came back from a commercial break. Um, and you see him pull up and you're like right behind him. You had been like right behind him, basically that whole first like half that he was in the race. And like, I don't know. I watched you when he's just like pulled up and like, you don't, really react because a you're not really seeing what's happening probably like that quickly but also just like that 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 feeling of just you know i it's like a casualty out there and but you're in kind of this this zone i guess it just it felt like a really weird thing to watch right like this is your teammate this is someone you know the big blue workout group 
someone who's been a huge mentor to you and you see him pull up out of the race and like, you know, you don't see yourself like turn and, and, and freak out or anything, but that kind of thing happens. Like, do you recognize what happened in that moment? Are you distracted by it at all? Like, how does that kind of work? Yeah. Um, yeah. So just like setting the stage for that, the, the first part of the race, um, a lot of the college guys took it on. Um, they were running, you know, 65s and 66s, which is about, uh, I think 66 point is Olympic standard pace. Uh, and some of those guys didn't have the standard. So uh, I would imagine their strategy was, you know, we need to get the time and place top three in this race. And nobody's going to push this if we don't. So they were kind of trading off laps, keeping it honest, keeping it quick. Um, and because of that, each time they would trade off, the race would kind of get choppy because the splits weren't perfect, you know, like one guy at the front might run a 65 and then they trade off and another guy runs a 66 high. And when you have a pack that big, you kind of chop up your steps a little bit. Like I was pretty deep in the pack at that point. I was pretty you were far hanging back. way back. I wanted to talk about that too after the Lopez thing for sure. Yeah, I, I was hanging back. Um, and the longer the train is, anyone that's run in a pack for like speed work or uh, just been in a big pack in a race before has felt this before you kind of get this slinky effect where if you're towards the back of the race the the front will kind of surge uh or like i guess the guy at first will surge and then the guy in second will respond to the surge by also surging and so forth um and so by the time it gets to you the actual injection of pace might have happened 10 seconds ago 15 seconds ago and you kind of are, are like this slinky being pulled along a little delayed and then same thing when it slows down the front slows down and then the second guy slows down and third guy slows down and uh, it chops up the pace. Um, so if you're in the back, you kind of start running into the guy in front of you. Um, yeah, it just, so it just that... like multiplies the pace shift. So it's just because like the slinky thing, when someone accelerates, what happens, the gap opens up rapidly in front of you because each mm -hmm. person's like trying to close it. And the people in front have been running at like 64 pace now for a hundred meters by the time that, you know, for, for like, 50 meters by the time it actually hits you. So now like in addition to having to accelerate, you now have to, they're still running 60. So it's not just like one second of ahead. So by the time it gets to you, it's been like five, six, seven seconds of pace. That's why, like just to fully explain, that's why it like separates out like that. Yeah. Which is tough. Yeah, it's really so, tough to race it for 10. And so you start chopping up your strides a bit, you know, we're in a big pack. You start clipping people bouncing around. You have to step inside, step outside to, you know, stay on your feet. Um, and yeah, about halfway through that race, I had moved up a little bit and Lopez was maybe two guys in front of me and we had a little chop and it looked like Lopez chopped up his steps, stuttered a little bit and his hamstring just kind of went. Um, and it was pretty apparent, you know, when you see people pull it with a hammy, it's a pretty signature um, reaction. You kind of jump up mm. and then maybe hobble a little bit. But most of the time, if people pull their hammy, they know it like there's there's not much you can do at that point and it happens pretty suddenly. So I saw him step off and I was like, man, like that's such a bummer. I know Lopez. I know how hard he works going back a little bit. Lopez was one of those guys that I looked up to in high school. He's been around for so long. He is one of those guys that I looked up to. He's a guy that I think of when I hear the word Olympian, I don't think of myself really. Um, like I think of Lopez, he was a flag bearer at the Olympics um, and has been at the top of U.S. distance running and middle distance running for a long time. Um, 
So to see a guy like that, a guy that's taught me so much over the past two years, you know, have to pull out and not even have a chance in the race was, was really sad, but kind of like you said, you know, there's not much time for emotions at that point. Um, like you got to lock in, you got to, um, fend for yourself to some degree. Um, that race was interesting because every time the pace lagged a little bit, uh, people in the back would realize, Oh shoot, I'm too far back. And they'd come around the outside and, uh, move up. And sometimes you'd get boxed in or just get swallowed up. And then you were in the back. Um, so you, were, you couldn't, yeah, you were way like, there are a couple of early screenshots of like, you know, six minutes into the race when those guys were really accelerating it. I mean, so, so let's just do the full thing right away right off the gun, like a group of guys running 65 and you were way back. You were way off. Was the idea there like, I don't believe in this or was it, I don't believe in it, but even if they go out and try to run the standard, like I know I have enough time to make it. It's not worth like stressing about and being in fourth place right now. Or did you even like know it was happening because it's so far back? Like, cause I mean, it, it's not a risk per se. And in like a normal race, you might be easy to be like, oh, they're going to come back to us. But in the trials, I feel like every decision like that is magnified and multiplied. And it's like, oh my God if these guys do hold on, I just, and they somehow, I just throw away everything. It was only a, like a really a short amount of time where it genuinely seemed like they might try to split it up. So I don't even know if you would have realized what was happening, but did you, did you see that move happen? And did you have that thought of like, maybe I should be in like the top five or six? Like, was the plan always going to be, Hey, I'm going to be in 20th early on. That's going to be fine. Um, I didn't really have a plan on where I wanted to be, uh, in the first part of the race. Uh, I was, I was aware of what was going on at the front. I, kept my eyes up and would glance up and make sure that the people that I thought would be there at the end of the race were in the places that I wanted them to be and not that's a good, in a breakaway that's pack. That's a good idea. For sure. Um, and uh, I looked up and assessed who was at the front and they were college guys that needed the standard. Um, and I knew I could run the standard. So uh, confidence allowed me to kind of hang back for quite a while. Um, just knowing that, Hey, if these guys want to run 27, 20, I can do that. Um, and I'll have time to get up there. It's a 10 K. It's not like I'm running a 1500. Uh, I can get up there, but also I did not think that they could run away from the field and that people would let them go. Um, which you could view as a risky strategy, uh, because I was quite a ways back, but I genuinely believe that if these guys started running 64s, that the people in the race were good enough that they wouldn't let them go. Yeah, um, not for a while, so you would have enough time. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the, the people in the race are good enough and determined enough and know that it's Olympic trials that they wouldn't just let a pack of five guys go. Um, I would have been shocked and, and honestly like in a bad position if there was a break. If, if, if someone decided, like, hey, I'm going to let this pack of five guys go, um, that would have been bad. <laughs> we we've but talked a lot about this happen. early on um in the pod thing like how like i run my best races when you almost kind of like concede that you don't control everything it's just a scary thing to do like to to not worry about the front of the race or the people up there and be able to just focus on your race and trust it because if you waste that time worrying and, and moving and thinking and doing all that stuff like you're going to wear yourself out a little bit too much i feel like that's a whole nother level to trust yourself that much in the trials. But at the same time, like no wonder you were able to close. I mean, you're able to close well for a whole lot of reasons, but being able to stay super calm and be like, I trust, I trust this and this will come back to me. Once it does, that pays off huge. Cause you haven't expended hardly anything. 
compared to the other guy's mental exertion at least to get there. So I feel like, yeah, it definitely makes it definitely makes it easier when you know, hey, at the end of the day, like I can catch up and also no one's going to let these guys go probably. But it, it's, it's interesting to hear that. Yeah, I also thought nobody in the field would was, is good enough relative to everybody else that they could run away and front run this whole thing. Um, another factor that was playing into those decisions I made was it was pretty windy. Um, that backstretch was quite windy. So it's really hard to solo a 27-28 or faster race from the front at the Olympic trials with the wind. It, it's hard to do. And it was... You know, there's a lot of factors like stacking up against the front running strategy in that race, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the advantage of sitting back was stay calm, get in lane one, don't need to, you know, fight these people. You know, shield yourself from the wind and let the race come back to you. And when it did, uh, just, you know, float along, try to get to a good position. Um, and, uh, yeah, I found myself in a pretty good spot with, you know, maybe two, three miles to go. Um found myself maybe in like the top six or so, which was where you want to be over the second half of the race, just ready to cover moves, ready to strike, whatever you want to do. Um, you can do it from the top six, but you can't do it from 26th, you know? So, uh, yeah, it just, just opens up the options a little bit. I mean, it was, it was honestly pretty much perfect. Like I, I, there was one time where you swung out wide a little bit to make that kind of like, and you moved up like a couple rows, like kind of at once there, I think. Um, somewhere like right before you end up in that top six but then like all of a sudden you look up and okay grant's in the top six and once that happens it's like once you can just like feel the lead like right there you know there's the front of the race with the way you've been finishing races it definitely had to feel pretty good that whole that whole last that couple miles though i mean the college guys were still out there with a couple pros like kind of trading it off you just seem to kind of sit back and wait for things to really happen is that kind of like how you yeah yeah, once I got to the front, I knew I was in a good spot and I knew I didn't need to push the pace. There were other people that needed to push the pace more than me. Um, I was confident in my kick. I There are guys that come from 5K backgrounds in this race. There are guys that come from the roads, marathon background. I knew I could outkick those guys. You're a miler. <laughs> yeah, yeah miler at heart. And uh, I knew people needed a faster pace more than I did. Um, I felt like I could... I had a good shot at making the team if it was fast, if it was slow, if it was back and forth, if it was I mean, a fart lick. You had a good shot making the team. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I didn't feel like, I, I think we talked about this, but I didn't feel like I needed a specific scenario to happen to make the team. So uh, Yeah, 100%. And that's such a I, good, I, would, I mean, that's where you put yourself off of years of work, right? Like at the end of the day, like that's all you can ask for going into the trials. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I, I felt like other people needed to push it more than me and uh, they you know, people were still trading off laps. And when they traded off, I was also careful to make sure I wasn't in the, in the position after the person, uh, that was going to step wide. If that, uh, that didn't make much sense. Like I didn't, I didn't want to be right behind the person that was cycling on and off the lead because when they step out of the lead, I would be in the front and that's not where I wanted to be. And cause yeah. I wasn't going to push it. And people uh, were stepping out, which I thought was a little interesting. Yeah, so people would cycle up. There was a part point where I was in third, and the guy in first stepped out. <laughs> Get out of there. And the guy in second moved into the front. And I, I purposely slowed down to allow the guy that just stepped out to come back into second because I did not want to be in second when that guy stepped off, uh, if that makes sense. Like, I, that, I wasn't in the trading off 
agreement that, and that wasn't um, what I wanted to be caught up in because yeah, if they would have done the trade off thing and waved me on to the front, I would have run like a 75. Um, Cause that would have been Grant. That would have been so <laughs> sick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> cause you yeah, imagine, because, like, like, okay. Yeah. They're just like Kara Goucher was, she was great by the way in the booth. We can talk about that at some point. I guess I was the only one who watched it, but um like okay like they're just off of trials they're just off of olympic standard pace we have a shot we have a shot grant just tastefully i mean they wouldn't have let you run a full 75 but what if they had and like like the 75 is looking around like centro and rio is like nah not nah, we are not we're not i don't care i don't care at all i can that would have been unreal i almost just wish that i would we would have so much more to talk about if ran a 75 in the middle of the race yeah, it would have been interesting for sure. It just wasn't in my best interest to lead or to continue a specific pace. Yeah. Um, it was in other people's best interest to run like a 67, um, but it wasn't. The the marginal gain that I would have gotten from leading a, a 67, like based on the expenditure it would have taken, just being in the lead, cutting That's the wind. econ terms right there, man. You know? Shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, it just wouldn't have been worth it. Yeah. So we'll, but, we'll, we'll get, we'll get um, Woody on to talk about, I feel like, the rest of this, unless there's anything yeah, yeah. you want to jump in with. No, let's get Woody in here. All right, great. And uh, now we're going to welcome in our special guest. Uh, I'm pretty sure we'll have already said it by this point in the podcast, but we've got Woody Kincaid on as well, uh, Grant's teammate at Bowerman and the recent champion of the 10K at the U.S. Olympic Trials, closing in a 53-4 uh, to run 27-53 overall. And most importantly, by far, punch his ticket to his first Olympics. Uh, Woody, dude, how are you feeling? Uh, pr- pretty overjoyed. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's it. Uh, I'm still really tired. <laughs> so like there was this weird there was this weird day where I was like so happy that I was actually sad the next day, whereas like I was just like I'm so tired. And I don't know why I'm so drained right now, but you know, I thought about it as I like, go oh, to actually make sense. Like all my, all my joy has just been dumped into like one moment. I've been up for like 20 hours. So I feel a lot better now after like sleeping last night. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Why, why the tiredness between the emotional output and obviously the physical output talking just a little bit about the race itself. We were, we were kind of going through the first half of Grant's race, um, into like those last couple miles. Was there anything notable that you remember about kind of the first half of your race at the trials? Uh, we talked a little about, about watching Lopez step off, which, you know, is a really just like tough thing to, to kind of mm-hmm. see mid-race with a teammate you care that much about. Do you, did you re- recognize that moment at the same time as well? Well, I was actually behind Lopez. I don't know. Grant, were you, you were ahead of him at that time. No, I, I was like right behind him. I was two guys behind him when he, when he stepped off. So I, I was about probably 20 meters back on Lopez. Uh, before that, I told Lopez in the race, I was right behind Lopez for some time. And I told him like very loudly because he wouldn't let me get ahead of him. He's, <laughs> I told him like, Lopez, if you're, if you're going to stay, if you're going to stay there, then don't let it, let it go. And, uh, he didn't respond, but you know, I think that, that, that kind of made him like speed up a little bit. And I kind of back in my mind, I'm like, oh, I didn't make him speed up unnecessarily, but I don't know. Yeah, I remember Lopez stepping off and thinking, all right, well, uh, that's the way it is. Now it's just me and Grant. Here we go. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a, got to be a tough thing to watch a teammate step off. But at the same time, you're in that zone during the race where I can't imagine you know you can't get too like wrapped up in everything else that's going around. I, there was like a, a probably a one or two second like oh damn okay focus refocus mm. kind of like that. The I mean the other interesting thing right is Eric Jenkins also steps off. I don't even I don't even know if either of you would have seen that. He kind of like pulled up in the home stretch, and at that point. There's only five guys who have the standard, and and at that point we know the standard isn't going to be run in the race. Does that? Are you? I mean, are you doing the math at all? Are you thinking about guys with standard? I mean, Grant, you mentioned in the beginning of the race, right? Like the college guys taking out the lead, knowing they don't have the standard, it's not as big of a threat. Maybe like you can maybe lay off of it a little bit more. Once you know it's down to five guys with the standard, and you're in that second half, are you looking around like, okay, where where's Ben True? Where are these other guys? That's, I guess that goes for either of you, but Woody, if you it, did that change your mindset at all? I thought you were asking Grant a question. You weren't asking. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you're man. not even paying attention. <laughs> no. Uh, I'll answer the question, Carl. Yeah, Grant. Grant. <laughs> um, yeah, so I didn't even cross my mind completely, honestly. I didn't know that uh, Jenkins had dropped out until after the race. So I knew that Lopez had stepped off because it happened right in front of me, but it never crossed my mind that I was like, okay, there's a guy with the standard that is not going to finish this race. Um, and I, I didn't know that Eric had stepped off, but I, that's not really how I was thinking. Like when we, I, I don't know how you feel about this, Woody, maybe you can comment in a sec, but going into that race, I was kind of just like, we, we gotta be top three. Like, let's try to get top three. Like, don't even worry about who has a standard, who doesn't. If we get out there and race these guys, I know we can close really well. Like, let's try to win this thing. And, you know, the absolute overarching goal is top three. Like, mm-hmm. we, we got to get top three. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter who's there. Doesn't matter if they barely made the trials. Like, I I wasn't even thinking about who had the standard and who didn't when I was in the race. Same. No, I was, I was all about, okay... I was thinking who was up there. I did kind of look through like 20 people ahead of us at one point. And I'm like, okay, who's up at the front right now? Cause do they have the, uh, is it possible this is going to break away and I need to move up? Um, and then I saw it, it, it just felt windy and I thought Emmanuel Bohr maybe posed a threat to do that. But the other college kids, I was like, this, they're trying to get the standard and they're probably gonna have to come back. It's really windy out. Um, so I guess I kind of was thinking we got to get top three. It doesn't matter. But at the same time, I was thinking, okay, who's in contention for top three right now for a lot of the race? I don't know if that's how you were thinking. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, the whole race you're looking, like I, I'm not I'm not necessarily counting spots, but who are the guys that it's going to come down to at the end? Um, like Ben True, accomplished runner, clearly very fit. Um, I thought he would be a factor. Joe Klecker has a standard, very fit can close well, has been great for him recently. I knew he was going to be there. Um, Jenkins, Lopez, Woody, I know all those guys are good. Championship racers, those guys can close well. They'll, they'll be there at the end. Emmanuel Bohr, uh, you know, he had a, some really nice races this indoor season. Uh, he'll be there at the end. So not that you're discounting the other people, but there are certain names and people that you see in the race where you're like, that guy is dangerous, and if he goes to the front, I need to be there. Right. Exactly. So it, it, uh, it really, it was a lot, you were, we had to trust ourselves, but we also had to, 
uh, kind of make an educated guess on where where the race was going. Yeah, because Woody, we talked, Grant and I talked about this a little bit. You guys were all so far back early on, and obviously it's a 10K, there's a lot of time to, to make up that gap, but yeah, was it just like trusting that you could, you know, reattach to anything that did happen or assuming that no one would break away? It was kind of a mix of both of, okay, how do I feel? I feel like this pace is very hot. Like I feel very tired running 65s and it's windy <laughs> and it's hot. So I, I knew that I was in great shape and that, you know, I've ran 65s before and I know that what that pace should feel like. And it was very hard. So, <laughs> so I kind of had that faith that, okay, this race can't keep this if, uh, if the conditions are like this. But also I, I, I could see that people were a little bit antsy and they were, they were jostling and choppy. Um, nobody was, nobody was controlled. Nobody was relaxed. So knowing that everybody else was kind of in the same situation where we're all not sure what's going on, not sure, um, who feels good and who doesn't, it was, it was kind of relaxing in that sense, knowing that nobody was relaxed. If that makes sense. That's a good point, Woody. I I think like when you know that you're in good shape and it starts hurting, you can tell yourself like, Man, if this hurt for me, it's probably hurting a lot for those guys that are leading right now. Those guys that are breaking the wind, um, they're probably hurting more than me. So I just need to relax, like conserve some energy, let those guys burn themselves out. Um, and we'll, we'll be there when, when the time is right. The 10K is a long race. And I was talking to Woody about this after the race, but it felt like we were out there for like an hour. That, that race was like so choppy and back and forth. It felt like Dude. we were racing for so long. Like there was never a point where you could relax and just like lock in. Yeah, totally agree. I, I don't know if it's because we were so hyper focused for this race. Like, you know, time slows down when you're just focusing on something or if it's just the 10K in general. But uh, yeah, that race, we were out, we came through 10 minutes and I felt like I already had a race in me. <laughs> and so, so I was like, okay, I guess we got a long way to go. These guys got to be tired. At least we're going to have to hope they are. Woody, this is this has got to be like really exciting for anyone listening who also hurts really bad early on in races. Just you know, hearing the and the, the eventual winner of the race just being in pain ten minutes into the ten k. You know, it's, it's hey, like you can still just keep gritting it out and end up with a really good finish. I don't know. I mean, like, Grant, you don't often talk about that. I'm sure that you're also like feeling it, but just to be like, ah, oh, this sucks, and we're not even that deep into it. Like, what do you? Where do you go mentally, Woody, to kind of? you know we just talked about right like you're thinking that other guys are hurting more but it's still like a lot of pain for another like 17 18 minutes at that point um like how have you found things that you can use to cope in those in those moments um i think it helps having other teammates in there first of all um that's definitely a a huge benefit seeing where they are it's kind of like relaxing knowing you have somebody there that's kind of they're not on your side but you know where they are so that's, that's like one stone you can kind of hold on to. But also, uh, you know, when you start hurting early and you go through it once, it kind of, you kind of like remember the next time. Well, I was in this one race and it started hurting pretty early then too. And so, and I was still able to finish, you know, pretty well. Um, so I think it just becomes part of a habit of running through feeling bad and, uh, and kind of being able to condition yourself to, to be used to it. Yeah, I agree. I agree with both those points would like, and I will even emphasize the teammate bit even more just, you know, 
you and I have been training together doing the exact same stuff for the past two years. Um, and so like, if you see a teammate that you know what they've been doing, you know the work and you know that you've done the same work and you see them up there in the pack or doing something, whether it's this race or another race, it does give you that confidence that like, okay, I've done the same amount of work as that guy and like, I can do that too. Um, and, and it's like a comforting thing just knowing like your teammate is still there. Like the guy that is, you know, your training partner, the guy you train with every day is able to do this. It's just gritting it out. He's there with you. It feels like a little bit of comfort. Like it's a little bit like practice. You know, you've been there before. Um, we've grinded it out before and finished workouts where the first rep was really hard and you didn't know if you were going to finish and we, and we pulled it off. Um, same thing in races, like put it going into Woody's second point. Like there's been races where we felt like trash at the beginning and you kind of gain momentum through the race and maybe feel a little better and pull off a pretty good race. You, you draw on those experiences, um, whether consciously or unconsciously, um, it does bring you some, some comfort um, and just like a bit of confidence uh, to, to just trust in yourself, believe in yourself and know that you'll be where you need to be at the end. Well, I was just, I was going to start transitioning back more towards like you guys both, you know, you start off, you're kind of in the outside of the top 20, but you know, all of a sudden you find yourself up there. Um, I know I, I was telling Grant, I saw his move. I almost like didn't even see you Woody, but all of a sudden you were also up there, like right towards the front. Um, when was the decision to move, like doing that? Like, was there a specific moment that you knew, okay, it's time the race might start getting real. Did someone go to the front and you were like, this guy could take it away or was it just I second half of the race? We got to start getting somewhere. <laughs> so actually I was, I was pretty far back and I was behind uh, Eric Jenkins for a while. And, uh, I felt pretty confident about me and him both moving up through the field. So I'm like, I'm just going to play off Jenkins. Kind of like, kind of how, kind of how Klecker was playing off of Grant, <laughs> <laughs> but I chose, I chose Jenkins. And then, uh, Jenkins didn't look, I was just kind of watching his body language. Cause I was really zoned in to kind of his, uh, back and it didn't look good. So at, at some point in the race, I'd been clipped a couple times. Um, and we had slowed down a lot and I realized I don't think this can stay this slow forever. So I need to move up just, just enough to be in contention to, in case this breaks away. I think it was, I don't remember exactly when, but I, I probably had some, a 70 in there when it got really slow that I realized I need to make up ground now in case it breaks away. I'm gonna. I'm checking the splits. Yeah, yours definitely like a 69. Yeah, it, it got so. So so you make this move up, yeah, and then right right after that, I guess you didn't see Eric step off then. But right after that, I did he not know. steps off. Yeah, and then um, yeah, and so moving into that last like couple kilometers, right? There's still these these. It was interesting because the guy is in the lead pretty much the whole way through until like you know two three laps to go, when y'all start taking over. The guy's in the lead had led that whole first like 9k you guys all the like all the guys with the standard all the guys who maybe are like, the most major players in the race are all grouping up kind of right behind them almost like a peloton with the chase pack there but everyone you guys kind of let them have their space until a couple laps to go is that just um and grant i'll actually direct us at you first because you know you end up in the lead with two to go or whatever is was that kind of the similar philosophy of there's no reason for me to be the one to take this until it's like time to actually take it just, just because the standard and, and what you knew you could do. Yeah. I think there were a few factors there. Um, one being 
yeah, all the top dogs had kind of queued up um, in that pack. And I don't think anyone really wanted to lead for a couple of reasons. One, everybody thinks they have the best kick in the field. Um, so everyone probably thought that they could just outkick everybody. Um, secondly, it was windy and kind of hot. Um, and that plays a little factor in when you decide to go to the front. Um, when you go to the front and you start hammering, you're kind of exposed. You're cutting the wind for everybody and you're somewhat um, allowing people to gauge off of you. Um, so I think people were a little hesitant. I, I was surprised, honestly, that nobody took it with maybe a mile to go. I mean, nobody really took it until Reed went to the front and with 800 to go and ran like a 63, um, mm. which was an injection of pace and certainly got things going, but that's not enough to shake these guys. Like that didn't shake our pack. Um, I think we would have needed something more like a 59 to really shake, shake the pack on that second to last lap. Um, so that accelerated the race a little bit, but I was quite surprised. I don't know about you, Woody, that nobody attacked before that, like really made a hard attack with a mile to go or 1200 or a K to go. You know, I, I was too. And so I, I thought about it and, uh, realized that everybody was really clipping each other and jostling. And I think that took a lot out of people. I mean, if you look at the pictures after the race, people are just laying all over the ground. The race wasn't that fast. I mean, but I think the conditions just made it so people were really hesitant or too tired to really be confident in that big move a mile out. I know that I wasn't looking to do it. Yeah, true. I mean, you, you look at people's legs, you look at your legs, Woody. I mean, you were pretty cut up. Like we were clipping each other, we were bouncing around and that takes way more energy than like, I some of those races we ran this like February and March where you just got in line and, you know, almost time trialed and then raced yeah. at the end. It, it takes way more energy sometimes. Like I felt worse in that race running 68s, chopping it up than running 65s. I uh, just smooth. Definitely. Uh, so like, <laughs> so, so yeah, I agree with that. Like, I mean, people were just tired. Like, you don't want to expose yourself too early. And if you're tired, you're not going to go with a mile to go, I guess. So, but yeah, we, we had a big pack still there with a, a lap to go. Um, there were a lot of bodies. Is there also a mental component at all to, I mean, just everyone laying down and being exhausted after the finish line. I mean, I know that in the race it's top three, but you're not probably thinking about like, Oh, like the stature of becoming an Olympian, but it, there's gotta be a mental <laughs> weight to right, right. To like actually getting on the line and doing the race you've been thinking about. As we talked about last pod, Grant, like 100 days out from the trials, you know, like everything being built around this. And, and like, Woody, did you feel that weight at all? Um, or do you think that might have added to other people's kind of just everyone being exhausted after finishing? I don't know if Woody heard my question. I heard you. Oh. Don't, yeah, yeah. Now you have to just wonder if I'm thinking about the answer and not listening. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm... <laughs> Yes, I, I'm just thinking about the answer. I definitely felt the weight of, or the gravity of this race. Um, sorry, somebody's somebody's making noise in my house, but... Uh, it's probably JT. Yeah, it is JT. Um, but I, would, I mean, I, I was throwing up the day of the race. Um, Holy shit. I was like, seriously, like six hours before the race, I, I was trying to eat lunch and I just couldn't keep anything down. And I didn't even make it to the toilet. <laughs> where, did you, where did you throw up what are you like in your like on the on the bathroom floor like kind of halfway oh my know? god and really on my sweater honestly <laughs> on my sweater 
so I was I was mentally engaged and I understood um, how important this race was. But uh, once the race starts, all that just kind of disappears, and I don't feel I don't feel like any race just feel every race just feels kind of the same. Um, I definitely get the most nervous in the hours before the race, and then during the race, um, you know, I'm I'm just completely locked into the race. I don't know how it is for everybody else, but I, I don't feel like the the trials was different than than something else, except for uh, except for when I'm behind Grant and decide to to go with him. <laughs> the uh, yeah, I mean the the gravity of the trials. I, I've discussed this with you, Connor, before. The gravity is just like unlike anything else. It, this this was the biggest race of my life, and I knew that going in. Um, I don't know if you felt that way too, Woody, but like the just the consequences of this race. Like you either walk out and you're on the team or you're not. Um, and it's binary. And yeah, it's a binary system. And if you're not, you have a four year wait time, I guess in this case, a three year wait time, but it's not like you get another chance. Um, you have to perform on the day. And you know, when I was at the trials, uh, in 2016, Woody was actually in the race too. Uh, we were in the, the 5k together. We were both still in college. Um, and I was just happy to be there. Like that was the Olympic trials, but it, I mean, I didn't have that much pressure. I, I had no shot at making the team and I was just there for the experience and to like rub shoulders with pros and be like, whoa, that was Lopez Lemong. Or like, whoa, that was Hassan Mead. You see that? Uh, <laughs> Woody was probably a little different. Woody won the heat in 2016, our heat, and advanced to the final. Um, and Woody, what place were you in the final in 16? Eighth. Eighth. I was all out in the prelim. <laughs> I was too, and I was I last. Was... <laughs> <laughs> I uh, but yeah, like that that was, I guess, the same level as this Olympic trials, but the gravity was just different because then I had no shot at making the team. This time I knew I can make this team. Um, and that just that's just more pressure. Like it's easier to be the underdog. It's easier to be the guy that has no shot, but you know, maybe you'll have a heroic day and um, like surprise some people. I'd say when I've been in that situation, it's way easier than like when you're supposed to do something. Um, and I think for like both Woody and I, like I, I, I don't want to speak for you here, Woody, but I think we like we're supposed to make that team. Like we we should make that team um, as long as everything goes goes pretty well. And that that's pressure. Um, and I agree with Woody. I didn't really feel it in the race. It just felt like I was a race racing against top competition. Um, I didn't even realize that the three of us had broken away from the rest of the field, uh, until like maybe 20 meters to go. Uh, so like that wasn't really in my mind. I was just trying to race as hard as I could and try to win the race. And I knew like, if I tried to win, even if I didn't like, that that's the best position for me to like get in the top three, um, going for the win. And, uh, yeah, obviously Woody, Woody motored past me with 120 to go, <laughs> put, put on the afterburners, man. And the thing uh, is Grant, Grant didn't tell me, but he told Jerry that he, that he, he's like that sandbagging son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> he only shows up for races he cares about. <laughs> yeah. Woody, Woody, you can, uh, it is crazy how like how much you can get out of yourself on race day like and that's a hard skill to have like to get everything out of yourself in a race like 
it's really hard to do. And I feel like you can do it incredibly well. Like you can get your body to do incredible things um, on race day, which is like the most important time, obviously, to do it. Um, and yeah, I mean, a 53 last lap, that's that's nasty. Like that's, that's winning the trials every year, probably. Um, whether it's this year, 2016, 2012, yeah, you can go back. Um, I, I do think that's a huge skill of yours. Thanks, man. I, I think that everything, everyone has some, we always talked about this. Someone on their team has, uh, something that got them to where they are. Right. And CD said it was my, my stubborn competitiveness, uh, just psychotic competitiveness. <laughs> and, and I think that what that comes out sometimes in, in really important races. What was yours again? Uh, I don't remember. I, I don't think I was there for that discussion. I heard about it afterwards. But but that is a good point. Like uh, everyone on this team, I really wish I could dive into this because CD would explain it better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we gotta have CD on. We'll need uh, to stand for the long. But but everyone on our team, like, they have something that sets them apart. Like we're all incredibly similar um, in a lot of regards. But everyone on this team has something that makes them great, um, and that's what makes each of us unique. Uh, obviously, we're all competitive. We're all talented. Um, I think it would be a little short-sighted to say that like none of us are incredibly talented. Like there, there are tons of people that, <laughs> yeah. that work. There are tons of people that work incredibly hard that aren't at the same level as us, um, that work as hard as us or harder than us, um, but maybe just don't have the natural talent that has allowed, you know, guys like me and Woody, just other professionals to advance through the ranks and get to the professional level. Um, but yeah, there's also little things that like in a sense that all of us are talented and work hard and are stubborn and, and all those things, like there are little things that, that make each of us unique, which is cool. Connor, what do you think? I know your teammates with Grant. What do you think Grant's, his, uh, his hidden talent is? Wow. That's a, that's a great question. What gets, um, what got him to his little thing? Yeah. Say something nice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if mine is nice always. <laughs> I feel like it's definitely all of a them, curse a lot of the time. <laughs> all of them should be like the blessing and curse thing, right? Because I feel like a lot of the time it's like, what, like greatest strength can also be your greatest weakness. Um, man, right. I mean, the thing with Grant that I've always admired is like his consistency, his consistent approach to everything, right? Like you're obviously a tremendous talent, but I feel like he, in training and in races, like he very, I was talking to Sarah about this uh, on campus a couple weeks ago, Grant. And it's just that, you very rarely have like an awful race, like a really bad race, you know? And I feel like maybe the same approach in training where just everything has stayed very, very consistent for years and years and years, in addition to just being a tremendously talented guy. And I feel like everything about the way that your races are run are just very, it's very level and very mature. And then all of a sudden, like it's the last lap of the race and Grant is there. And if you give yourself a hundred shots at it, you're, you're going to have a bunch of successful ones. So yeah, I feel like, it's maybe it's kind of it's kind of lame compared to like psychotic competitiveness but just like just incredible (laughs) incredible consistency in every element of of running i feel like that would be the biggest thing i noticed just even watching you in like the weight room and that kind of stuff like at school i don't know what either of you think about that i think it's it's fair to say that grant wastes no energy on things that aren't important (laughs) i will say that If, if he's the most chill guy uh, uh, he's definitely the most relaxed runner I know. <laughs> yeah, it's just very just like unfazed. level, and everything is just like yeah, yeah, consistency and like that like chilled element of just like 
I'm here. I'm, I'm not going to get too high or too low. I, that, that's been an excellent model for not just me, but a lot of the guys on the team, I feel like staying in the middle there. I feel like, yeah, you don't get too high or too low. I get like very stressed out or very excited or something. I feel, I feel like, you know, even when I, you know, even when I text you like, Hey man, congrats on becoming an Olympian. It's like, thanks. Like super stoked. But like, <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not like, Oh my God, I can't, you know, even the, po- the post race interview for you was the, one of the most I've ever seen you get high. And even that was like, <laughs> Oh man, it's just, the team has been great. <laughs> He's the most, he has the most sound mind of any runner I know. I yeah. Can't tell so you sound that. mind, maybe that's it. Dude. Sound mind. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty uncommon for, for elite athletes. I'll tell you that. I guess the, really the, the blessing and a curse element to that would probably be like you said, Woody, like I, I don't really expend a lot of energy on things I don't care about. So the, the curse element of that would be like, if there's disagreements on what I should care about and what I shouldn't care about. Yes. That, that's gotten me in, in, in tough spots before <laughs> where I, yeah, it, there's, <laughs> Things that people maybe think uh, require a little more uh, attention or like energy to be put into, and uh, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't really care about that. <laughs> but but now you're an Olympian, so everything is worth it. Your entire life, everything has turned. <laughs> no, I, I mean, like... I guess I guess technically everything has led into this, uh, and you could say the same, Woody. Every every mistake, every night out, it, it all has led to this. So maybe it all had a purpose. I suppose so. <laughs> I think it would have been easier if I didn't do those things, but here we are. Yeah, no, every, everything this, but Woody actually would have won by like 20 seconds if, if, if he'd done every single thing. <laughs> if only we were that way, man. Oh, I wanted to ask Woody, um, obviously you guys closed, like just absolutely ripped that last 400. Grant, I texted Berg, Alex Osberg with 700 to go. And I was like, Grant can close in 54 off of this pace. And then you did. And I thought that would be well and good enough to win the race. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously Woody runs like 53 mid, 53 low. Um, (laughs) Woody, I I read your post-race transcript stuff um, on one of the websites. And you talked a lot. I have the same philosophy, but not nearly as good. But just like the hardest thing is getting to that last lap. And then the last lap is almost easy. You just unload, you just give everything right there and, and kind of go. Mm. So I guess walk me through like, you know, from from a K or 800 to that bell and then through the bell lap if you're even thinking anything on that. All right, let's start with, let's start 800 out when I see, when it's still slow. And Grant and I and Klecker are rubbing shoulders and I see Reed Buchanan sprint around. He texted me before the race. He's like, dude, I'm going to make this team. And I was like, Okay, you just trained for the marathon, but sure, all right, do it. <laughs> he also has got to run the standard in the race. That's that's, yes. <laughs> that's a tough realization yeah. like halfway through. I know, and, but the thing is, Reed, Reed has this, he gets something in his mind. He actually has like a crazy amount of confidence in it too. We, and so with 800 to go, he, he takes the race, and I was like, I'm glad somebody did this. This, this is good. Because <laughs> like, I, I didn't want to do it, and I really didn't want it to come down to uh, you know, seven or eight people in the pack in the last race, in the last lap. Um, so Reed took it, and it kind of picked up a little bit, and I think that put enough, I wouldn't say it put sting in the legs because there were still a lot of people there, but it put enough doubt in people who were too far back to make up that ground when the move was made. And fortunately, me, Grant, and Klecker, and I forget there was someone else right on my shoulder, who was right well, there? Bia Simbasa and Ben True Simbasa. were all kind of up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It was Ben True. And they went with it. 
and I locked into Grant because I just did work out with him and uh, he just like dropped a 37 in a 300. So I was like, I know this guy's got it. I'm going to lock into Grant and I'm, and I'm going to work off uh, him for, for this backstretch. And uh, obviously the last 150, it's just, okay, when am I going to go and when is he going to go? Right? That was just all out. Was he going to come back? Like, if he comes back on me, he comes back on me. I'm just going to sprint as hard as I can this 150 when I go around him. Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of how it is going into the last lap of race. Like, I, Woody, I'd say you're confident in your kick. I'm confident in my kick. I, I know that if I can get to a lap to go with these guys, like, I can, I can beat a lot of them and I can compete. Um, and that's a feeling of confidence for sure. Um, definitely, like, gets you through the middle stages of the race. Uh, just knowing, like, if I'm if I'm there with a lap to go, like I'm dangerous. I just got to get to a lap to go, and then, and then you're on autopilot. You know, you're not doing a lot of thinking. You're just, like, you're just going. You're giving it everything you have, and, uh, you know, there's not a ton of thought or decisions to make. Um, if you're in a good spot, like, you just go as hard as you can. <laughs> I, th- I think the only decision on the last lap is when do I start going as hard as I can? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's just, okay. When do I say, okay, go and just keep revving the engine. And there's a chance that the wheels fall off if you go too early. Um, but I, I don't know. I think that you and I are in a position where we felt pretty confident um, closing in a, a 53 or 54. I don't know. I can't speak for you, Grant, but that's, yeah. that's definitely how I felt. I felt pretty confident I could make it through the whole lap. No, I, I agree. I mean, like you're, you're trying to budget everything. Like you're trying to budget out your energy and your power and your pace um, such that, yeah, you don't blow up at the end. Um, but you're like, you don't have so much in the tank and you get like fifth and you're like, damn, you know, you're like yeah. you still want to like leave it out there. So um, I was just trying to wind it up over the last lap and, pick up pace, pick up pace, pick up pace. And, uh, Woody comes around me with like 120 to go about and had like a ton of momentum and I did my best to respond. Uh, but you know, Woody, Woody pulled away. He had a, your, your last, like I watched uh, the race video, your last 50, you were flying. Um, yeah. Yeah. You were going so I had fast. to lay it. I had to keep laying it down cause I knew you would come back. <laughs> yeah. You were flying. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't until quite a while later that I realized that all three of us had broken away by quite a bit. I mean, I think, I think Ben was like four seconds behind Klecker or something, which when everybody's together with a lap to go, that's pretty significant, like spacing. Um, so like, I, I had no idea at the time that we like were by far and away the top three. Um, like I was still trying to win. And like you, yeah. you were obviously like trying to win too. You weren't like, Oh, nice. We're top three. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's coast it in boys. Uh, <laughs> Like, yeah, (laughs) the last lap, like we were trying to race. I mean, you're just in race instinct mode. Like we've been in those situations so many times. Like it's, it's just like this natural instinct to, to like feel for the line, like, and, and just drive there. I think I remember actually looking over my shoulder to see, uh, with 200 to go to see if, if who was there and, I, I remember not even being able to tell. Like I looked over my shoulder. I was like, I didn't, I missed all that. Yeah. Right, I'm going to go for it. Just whatever. a waste of time. Yeah. 
I, uh, Grant, I was going to ask, though, because I swear you take, like, if you watch the race, Grant, or one of the replays, it's like 100 to go, like, coming out of the curve. I feel like you looked up, like, hella up. I, I assume at, like, the scoreboard. So I thought you, like, had somehow seen that you had broken away at that point, but clearly you didn't. <laughs> but, like, I, I really, like, watching it happen, like, Woody came around you, and, like, as that happened, I felt like you looked up. Maybe you were just looking forward, but it kind of looked like with the angle I was going to ask, like, did you see that? Did you know? But clearly no. So similar to Woody, that was a wasted glance. Uh, I was trying to find <laughs> the scoreboard, like the board, which in the new Hayward Field, I would say this is the only thing that is worse in the new Hayward Field than the old one. The 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 video feed of the race is in a horrible spot if you're running. Uh, it's like tucked away way in the corner above the 1500 start line. And, oh. and it's like, it's not even a square. It's like a, it's like a trapezoid like this this screen way tucked up in the corner uh the old hayward field had a big rectangular one like on the on the first curve yeah Yeah. at 50 meters and so when you came around with 100 to go on the old field you could look up pretty much directly in front of you and see it this one you have to like look way up and to the left to this like sliver of a, a screen um and yeah, I didn't see anything. It was a wasted look. <laughs> yeah. It ends up not really mattering though, right? Yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah, I mean, Woody, not to get too like into the cliches, I'm sure that you've been asked about a lot in the last few days, but at the same time, like you cross the line, Grant's right there, you guys hug. Like, what's that feeling like? You know, like, are you reflective at all? Or are you just like, damn, I'm really tired? Like, what what is kind of the first couple things you're thinking about when you kind of realize everything that's going on? I think it was just no way. <laughs> I, I just I, I could not believe like I I thought I, I knew I could make the team, but I did not think like wow. Me and Grant just like I'm embracing Grant. He comes up on I finish race and I immediately see him. Uh, I think I was mostly disbelief. That's awesome. What about you, Grant? Yeah, it was crazy. I mean. Like you think about that moment for so long, you dream about that moment. You think about like what it's gonna feel like maybe if you like pull it off and when it happens, you're just kind of in shock. Like I grabbed Woody and I was like, I think we did it, man. Like, <laughs> like, I, I, like I don't know, but uh, I think I mean, we did it. And like, yeah. it didn't even feel, I, I feel like I needed someone there to be like, yeah, you guys did it. Like you're on the team. Like you, yeah. you actually finished one too. Yeah. Like I, I'm like waiting to be DQ'd. Yeah. I'm like I got that was so choppy. I'm gonna be DQ'd. I, I know I'm gonna be DQ'd. Like I, I needed like some sort of confirmation that like what I think just happened was what actually happened, and like, yeah, I, I don't know. I hugged Woody. Like, I mean, looking back now, I mean, how often do training partners go one two in the Olympic trials? Like, how often do training partners? make the team in the same event like it's pretty rare in any event um and like to have it happen for both of our first teams like and joe as well neither or none of us had made world championship teams any any teams u.s teams like olympic teams it was our first one for all of us and it's kind of like did that really just happen like are are what i is this situation that I think just happened actually what happened or am I like, uh, yeah, it, it was just weird. Like I, I, I was like desperately looking for confirmation that like we, we actually did it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but you always hear like, uh, I mean like Shalane, she wrote in her yearbook, like she was going to be an Olympian. 
right? I I was never like that, man. Like in high school, I wasn't thinking Olympics or anything like that. I was just I was just kind of thinking about I have to go to work and <laughs> I gotta go. It's like five a.m. I'm really tired, and then you know, I just kind of took each day by itself. So like, I, it's so different than people who like I've been a, wanted to be Olympian since I was like five years old, and I was like I really just want to live my own life and, and do something I love. And it, it just happened that, you know, like I really grew into to loving running. I don't know how you were when you were younger. I, I talked to Connor about this a little bit before you came on, Woody. But yeah, I mean, my goals kind of evolved as I grew with the sport. Like it, it went from like, I want to run in college to like, I want to make a, a final in the NCAA to I want to try to win an NCAA title to I want to try to go pro and then I want to try to make a U.S. final. And then honestly, in the past year, this this has evolved a ton for me. Like if if the Olympics hadn't been postponed a year, my chances of making this team would have been very slim uh, in 2020. Like I don't think I would have had a, a very good shot at making this team. So a bit of a blessing for me, like having it delayed. And honestly, going into this year, like, at our, at our altitude camp, Woody and Flagstaff, I started thinking like, I might be able to make this team actually. Uh, and like, as we kept racing more and more, I thought to myself like, I might be able to like win the trials. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. and, and that only came about like in the past few months. And it's crazy how quickly that, that evolved. And I was like, it, it was weird just going from a year ago thinking, there's pretty much no shot I make this team to, I think I might win this thing. Just like a a crazy transformation just in like mindset and like obviously taking things as they come. But um, I'd say like my goals and dreams have evolved with me in that regard rather than like you're five years old and your teacher's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I say Olympian. Like I I was never really like that. What are you going? Did... I mean, you broke 13 in that crazy race that, you know, like Mo paced at, at Oregon like a couple of years ago. You, you've, you've had like good PRs as well. But like Grant said, you hadn't previously made a team. You know, you hadn't been like fi- necessarily fighting like top three spots in those trials like as much. What, did you have a similar revelation at some point of, hey, like, wait, I, I can actually do this? Or, or had you always, like, where were you at with that? I, uh... I've actually been, I've always thought, I thought that I could do it um, a long time ago, like 2017, I thought I can make teams. Um, when I had, when I joined Bowerman and I was being dragged through the mud, like like Grant was, and uh, you come out and you have that really good race, I, I started to believe probably then that I could make a team. Uh, I thought in 2020, I thought I could make it, but I had been injured a little bit in February, but I still thought I could make a team with Grant. It's a little different because he joined the team and he, he started doing workouts out of his mind. So, I mean, he's getting dropped in every workout when, when it, during COVID they're only, he was only working out with one or two guys, uh, with Mo and Lopez and he was, they were working out out of their minds. Right. So I, I mean, Grant, Grant joined the team in kind of a weird situation where he doesn't realize he's getting insanely fit. He's just tired all the time. <laughs> and so I think when when this year comes around and he gets the benefit from that year, 
it, it kind of caught all that fitness really caught up to him really fast. And I mean, all of us knew that Grant was the guy to beat, but we didn't want to like tell Grant all the time, like, yeah, you're the guy to beat. Now. <laughs> I've been in that boat too. You. I've been like, what are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> Cause he was, he's like four years younger than us. We're like, yeah, he's actually better than us now. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to say, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that I thought I could do it a long time ago, and that's part of the reason why I wanted it. I wanted to do something today because I, I didn't think I had another shot. Grant definitely has another shot, and I think the fitness just it's still there, and he's got a long way to go. You got another shot too. I feel like for sure because you're. I could, I could, but it, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to count myself out. Definitely no. not. But I definitely <laughs> not. I know how long it takes. You have to wait sometimes five years. You don't know. That's true. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. True. Like, you can't take any of these teams for granted. Like, you never know. You're one step away from an injury that could alter your career completely. Like, you got to take advantage of what's in front of you and, and do your best and try to make these teams. Um, like, I've never really been competitive on the U.S. pro level before um, three days ago, like, in a championship. Um, Woody was, was uh, like, competitive in 2019. Um, yeah. So like he's he's at least been at like the front of some of these races before um, at like U.S. championship levels. But like even even like he said, you know, way in 2017, what he said, he like thought he could he was in a position to start making teams. But a lot of things have to go right. Like they're very hard teams to make. Um, I'm sure at any given trials or U.S. championship, there are pretty much everyone that lines up on that line is thinking in the final that they can make the team. And only three people walk away with that box checked. Like, it's cutthroat. And, and it's mm. really hard to do. Um, so, like, I'm, I'm so happy that I was able to do this with Woody. Like, to have a teammate in Tokyo... Um, it's kind of crazy. Bowerman has five guys that will be in the 10K final in Tokyo. Um, I mean, that makes up a sixth of the field from one training group. That's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. And it's a testament to just like the team environment we have, the hard work that people put in. And um, we, we've created like a very, very, a very strong distance contingent. Um, and it's cool that like, I, yeah, I'm doing it with my teammates. I'm doing it with the guys that I see every day, the guys that I live with, the guys that I eat dinner with and train with. You know, it's not just some random guys. So it's, it's, uh, it's a good feeling. And here's something I was talking about today with Grant. Uh, yes, it's a great feeling to do this with your teammate. And it truly is special. And I will never start beef with anybody on this team or outside the team ever again <laughs> because because you do, it just you're exactly you're exactly right man you are one injury away from like your career ending and you don't want to be in a position where you just talked shit for like six six months and then all of a sudden you have a hamstring injury in like a speed workout and you're like oh, i can't race <laughs> like you, you just can't you have to take each race uh as definitely a, a reason to to try your best because you can't, you can't be sure that you're going to be able to be at your best in a week. You really can't. Yeah. You can't take anything for granted. I agree with wood. Like you can't, 
I tried so hard not to say that. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, a cliche that my dad used to tell me when I was a kid was, "Don't count your chickens before they hatch." And and he would tell me that when we were playing a board game, and I thought I was winning, and then he'd beat me at the end. Mm. Uh, and he'd be like, "Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Like, don't don't project so far in the future of what's going to happen. Like, just take where you are and like be humble about it. Like, make the most of your opportunities that you currently have. Um, but nothing's like tomorrow, tomorrow's outcome is not guaranteed. Um, like that applies to running, that applies to life, that applies to whatever you want to say. Like nothing is guaranteed. And because of that, all you can do is make the most of your day um, and, and just keep your head down and, and grind away at something you're passionate about. And uh, that's worked really well for for me and Woody and a lot of guys on this team. And uh it's uh it's been fun it's been a fun journey but he's he's totally right like the world doesn't owe you success um nobody owes you like a spot on a team just because you've done certain things doesn't matter if you're the world record holder in an event you have to show up at the trials and you got to perform um so i was really happy that we executed because that was a one one stop shot like there's there's no do-overs no man, we were both we were both sniping at like a mile away, and we both had to hit the same thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he had to go for the head, I had to go for the heart. Yeah, we both had to hit it. No, we were the dudes in Captain Phillips when uh, they're all like on the ship and they got a. <laughs> I almost said that. I swear to God, I'm glad you were thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, to, I think you know, to your point, you shouldn't take anything for granted. But back to my point, <laughs> college kids uh, are saying too much stuff on podcasts and then they become a pro and they're like, I got hurt once and <laughs> suddenly it's not so easy to win. <laughs> so that's my shout out to all the college kids who want to start beef. I think I'll, I'll just let that ride. <laughs> no, yeah, I got nothing to add. Um, hey, so just as we hit like the 50 minute mark of this part of the interview, just wrapping it up, both of you guys are going to be back in the 5k in uh, later this week, right? Yeah. Yep. Dang. Okay. So, any preliminary thoughts on on that double? Now that we're halfway through it, uh, Grant, starting with you, just just going into this five, um, you're looking to hopefully just find some more success with it. I guess simply enough. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, you know, I, similar to what we were just talking about, I, I wasn't really looking past the ten at all and thinking about the five. Um, I was pretty locked in on the ten k. So. To have that box checked, it feels really good. Um, and yeah, we have a few more days to focus back up, get our bodies back, um, get our feet back under us and uh, get ready for this 5K prelim because you know the US is very strong in the 5K now and uh, you know even getting through the rounds will be a task. So similar to not looking past the 10K, don't wanna look past the 5K prelim, um, get out there and execute and uh, follow the plan and uh, hopefully advance to this final. But yeah, right now it's all about just recovering the mind, recovering the body. Um, I mean, that was an emotional high that we just went through. Uh, I talked to Woody the morning after we went for a run on the uh, Pre's trails and uh, I was like, how much did you sleep last night? <laughs> or I, I think I said, how many hours did you sleep last night? He's like, hours. The question is how many minutes did I sleep? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah same man. Like, I, I got in bed and I just couldn't sleep. I was just, I was just buzzing. Like, it, it, yeah, words can't describe all the emotions and 
the feelings it, it was it was wild so got to reset um get ready for this next one yeah i i'm the same way man i was i slept probably an hour but i don't even think that was like a, i didn't dream <laughs> so i was mainly just mainly just mainly just laying there uh but uh basically the next few days are just trying to recover as much as possible ask people to cook for me i don't know <laughs> yeah kieran cooked for like us that. tonight that was pretty nice yeah, that was nice. Thanks, Karen. He's, I know Kieran will listen to this podcast. <laughs> so, Kieran, thank, thank you. We really appreciate you cooking for us. I've shouted Kieran out before for his cooking, but yeah, I'll reiterate that one. The, the man is a chef. <laughs> Thai. Thai chef. A Thai chef, yes. Yeah, I don't, I don't have anything really else like prescient to say on the back end here. Um, I don't know if any closing thoughts that either of you guys have just about this experience overall. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll check in more, obviously, as we get you know, closer to the games now either way and uh, potentially after this 5K as well. But yeah, I'll, I'll leave that open for y'all if anyone's got any kind of parting thoughts. I feel like we spilled our, our souls into this one. I don't even, what's yeah, yeah. to say? I do appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> this is a safe space, Wood. <laughs> it's not at all. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're literally sharing it with the world. <laughs> it's the least private all. platform. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, probably when people are going to listen to it the most. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That we're, we're expecting a big pod, pod bump, but still, saying that this is for the world is, is a bold assertion of what, of what our pod is capable right, fair. of. Happening. A man can dream, all right? One, it's one for runner's world. Maybe one person. <laughs> yeah. Kieran. <laughs> yeah, it's for Kieran. I know Kieran yeah. and my parents will listen. <laughs> Yeah, my, my, my parents will listen to So there we go. That's like six Kieran, people so, right there. So I want to tell a story about Kieran and the main insight to his personality. <laughs> After the race, I was going through the messages, and they were like paragraph-long messages and uh, people talking. I get a message from Kieran, who I've spent the last like three months with. We watched The Sopranos together. We've done like everything together the last That's three months. That's a life bond uh, after The Sopranos. Seriously, though. And all he, <laughs> all he sent me was three f- thumbs up. It was just three <laughs> thumbs up emoji. The whole... <laughs> That was it. Yeah. Just like, hey, nice job, man. Nice. Yeah. Hey, cool. Hey. That's what I send hey. somebody when they pick up the groceries. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks, man. That was yeah. Three thumbs really up. Great. <laughs> man, I didn't think you were going to do it. But, uh, cool. Yeah, I, I did need some milk. Thanks. Anyways, oh, that's it. Okay, yeah. Well, it might be time to wrap. Wood, we're going to have to have you back on, dude. Uh, appreciate you talking to us. Uh, despite being a rival podcast host, it's pretty hard to interview <laughs> yourself. So it would have been hard to go on price of a mile after this. And I mean, I guess you could have just soloed it into the mic, but we're, but we're glad to have you on to kind yeah, of, you guys that. are going to interview me on price of a mile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is actually going to be published on price. Of a mile. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could, good. we could post the exact same episode on both and see who gets more listens. Have a little, Ooh, little I do like little that competition. one. <laughs> and, and then this time, if I get more listens, then you have to, let me out kick you and then if you <laughs> and then if you get the most likes then i don't know some other ultimatum. and and that is how the the 5k team will be determining that track <laughs> <laughs> yes yep we'll see uh, a lot, lot to go before that but thank you guys for both being on uh wood as a guest and grant for being my co-host as usual and thanks to everyone for listening we'll catch you guys next week on the half step Pod. yeah thanks guys thanks for